Things Considered, the local edition, only on Radio Catskill. Welcome to the local edition news and information keeping you connected in the Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Jason Dole. We've got some history on our show tonight. Making history, exploring history. It's been 60 years since the famous 1963 Civil Rights March on Washington, D.C. Radio Catskills' own Janice Adams was there, and coming up, she'll share her memories of the event and reflections on what it means today. Also, Ruth Bader Ginsburg takes her place in the New York State Capitol. Karen DeWitt reports on that. First up, let's start off with the latest local news in our weekly news roundup with the Sullivan County Democrat. A new pavilion has been proposed in the part of Narrowsburg known as the Flats, and folks are saying it's just too darn big. Patricio Rabayo spoke with Derek Kirk about it earlier this afternoon. Yeah, the proposed project is um, still under discussion. So, yeah, the proposed project is um, still under discussion between the town board and a number of members of the public who both live in the Flats neighborhood and outside of the Flats neighborhood um, with varying opinions on whether they think that the pavilion should be built, period, or um, various uh, design critiques um, that have been, uh, you know, discussed back and forth between the board and the public. They have had to recess this meeting uh, twice in the past week uh, due to an influx of uh, design changes um, that are trying to appease uh, members of the public uh, who both live there and do not live in the uh, town, or excuse me, the, na- the flats neighborhood. Um, the bathrooms have become a big discussion, however, uh, as uh, town attorney Ken Klein uh, informed the town board that um, as it has the pavilion, if it would be built as is, would be labeled as a place of assembly, which would require uh, bathrooms be installed, which was a uh, point of contention for a number of uh, residents. Um, and of the meeting prior, they had decided they would remove the bathrooms, but now they are necessary to be put back in. Um, town, uh, town Supervisor Ben Johnson had noted that they are working on an in-between where they will have, uh, if it moves forward, they will have um, temporary restrooms uh, as they decide uh, how they want to move forward with, um, you know, designing uh, restrooms that may be separate from the main structure or um, incorporated with the main structure. They're not quite sure where that will go just yet. Um, uh, the size of the structure has been shrunk. Uh, originally, it was shrunk from 30 by 50 feet to 24 uh, by 20 feet and is now sitting at 24 by 30 feet, which also caused a little bit of a uh, a pushback from the board as it has been uh, increased uh, ever uh, so slightly yet again. Um, Currently, uh, the town uh, is waiting on report from the Parks Committee, um, who will uh, present before the board findings um, that they uh, would like to, um, you know, discover, such as the bathrooms are... uh, and after that, uh, the town will put the project out to bid. Uh, that is expected to happen uh, at their se- September 5th uh, town board workshop. Um, so it's, the, the plans are still moving forward, um, and there was, I'm sure there will be more discussion on the Pavilion Park uh, as, as the days go by. 
And we know how you know important bathrooms are, but we also know the environmental impacts that could have to a project. So moving on here, we have a restaurant in Sullivan Caskills that was featured in the Michelin Guide, which is those who don't know, is a very prestigious restaurant guide uh you know, known throughout the world. So what can you tell us about this? Yes. So the Seminary Hill Cidery in Calhoun Hills were uh given a a pretty decent shout out by the magazine Michelin Guide. Um, uh, which highlights uh, a, num- uh, a number of the features of the restaurant in in good detail, and more can be found on that on t- on the front page of Tuesday's edition. That's good stuff. Congratulations to that restaurant. You have another story that you've been working on or have it on the front page about a supermoon that's coming up. What can you tell us about this? Yes, uh, uh, residents of uh, the county can look forward to uh, August thirtieth um, having a supermoon. Um, it is also a, a, I believe it's a super blue moon, um, and it will be the moon is at its closest point in its road in its um, revolution to Earth, um, as well as being a full moon. Uh, so it'll be um, super. Extra, it should be super extra bright given um, you know low cloud coverage. But it's something to look forward to. Maybe um, get out uh, sometime tomorrow. Uh, according to the old farmer's almanac, around 9:36 p.m. is when it's supposed to reach its peak. So maybe uh, take a step outside and look up at the stars and see what you can see. Absolutely. You have something else coming up or something that did happen for the Hortonville Field Day. What exactly is that? Absolutely. So the annual Horton Day, Hortonville Field Day uh, had their 89th uh, anniversary. Um, a number of uh, firefighters, firemen, and their families uh, uh, took to Hortonville uh, as they took antique fire trucks and um, Martian uniform uh, down Main Street um, in Hortonville, and we have some lovely photographs from uh, Gene Sager, who captured some great moments, uh, and that can be found on page 1B uh, in Tuesday's edition. Seems like a full paper of community news is happening. Well, we were talking to Derek Kurt, the editor for the Sullivan County Democrat, letting us know what's happening on the pages or in the pages of the Sullivan County Democrat on newsstands tomorrow, or you can look at it online at scdemocratonline.com. Sounds great. Thank you, Patricio. Thank you, Derek. Last week on the local edition, we mentioned that Governor Kathy Hochul unveiled a new portrait of the late Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg in Albany. We played you the governor's response to press questions about the migrant issue in New York State, but nothing on RBG. So for the full report on how Ruth Bader Ginsburg is now immortalized in stone on the New York State Capitol's historic Great Western Staircase, we turn to Karen DeWitt. The stone carving of Ruth Bader Ginsburg is the first sculpted portrait to be added to the New York State Capitol's ornate four-story red sandstone staircase in 125 years. With illumination from the skylights casting a pink glow on the intricate carvings of the staircase, Hochul spoke on its steps during the unveiling ceremony. There were no women when the initial carvings were done. Carvings of six women were added when the Capitol was nearing completion in 1898, but Bader Ginsburg is the first woman to be enshrined in the upper-level section of the staircase galleries, which until now has featured only men. Hochul, who is New York's first female governor, says Bader Ginsburg did not have an easy journey to the nation's highest court. A Brooklyn native born to immigrant parents, she struggled to find employment after law school. In 1960, she was turned down for a clerkship with the U.S. Supreme Court because of her gender. Yet, Hochul says, she persevered. By force of her intellect and toughness that we love, 
She achieved history, not just to be the second woman appointed to the Supreme Court of the United States of America, but also the first Jewish woman on the Supreme Court. Now, she also is a model for some of us who are raising kids while balancing careers. One of Bader Ginsburg's two children, Jane Ginsburg, now a professor at Columbia Law School, was also there. Professor Ginsburg said her family is honored by the portrait, and she credits the sculptor, Meredith Bergman. She's known for her statue of suffragists Sojourner Truth, Susan B. Anthony, and Elizabeth Cady Stanton in New York City's Central Park for accurately capturing one of her mother's key style elements. Including the resolution of technically challenging issues, such as which style of eyeglasses and how to represent them. Bader Ginsburg is depicted with her trademark owl-like spectacles. She joins numerous other famous Americans depicted on the staircase, including Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Likenesses of the first 30 New York governors are also carved into the sandstone, as well as several presidents and numerous flora, fauna, and other symbols. Hochul says placing Bader Ginsburg's portrait in a prominent position sends a message. To have her in a place where women could walk down and pause for a moment, and children can see and ask the questions like, why is she there? Who is this woman who did something so extraordinary that she, her image is emblazoned on this sandstone here in our capital? In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. You're listening to The Local Edition, winner of two Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. Radio Catskill's Music Yard Sale returns for one day only, Saturday of Labor Day weekend. We've got records, CDs, audio equipment, everything music and media related, all priced to move. Don't miss Radio Catskill's Music Yard Sale at our studios in Liberty, New York, 9 to 3, Saturday. Welcome back to the local edition. News and information keeping you connected. The March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom took place 60 years ago today. It's remembered for Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech, but the event meant even more than that because when 250,000 folks gathered in Washington, D.C., it marked a turning point in the civil rights movement. Janice Adams was there. The author, journalist, historian, and host of The Janice Adams Show was on live in our studios just this morning on Radio Chatskill to share her memories with Tim Bruno. You were on a bus coming from from where? From New York. Mm-hmm. It, um, at 3 o'clock in the morning in New York time, my mom and I left the Bronx and headed down to Harlem to take a chartered bus to New York, uh, to, to D.C. for the March on Washington. And even though desegregation had already begun, when we got to the Maryland-Delaware line, the infamous Mason-Dixon line, mm-hmm. um, all hell broke loose. When our bus pulled into the rest stop, we were literally mobbed by a white mob that, and and frankly, the most distinctive thing about that mob was that Behind them was a rim of police and sheriff's deputies to protect them and allow them to have their way with us. So because 
We were the outside agitators coming in to destroy their way of life. Nobody ever questions that way of life. And so as we got there, literally they, they surrounded the bus and began rocking the bus trying to turn it over so that they could force us out and beat us to death, whatever they had in mind. Um, finally, the bus driver literally put his foot on the gas and it was get out of the way or be run over. And as I've said to other people, it was just time for those being victimized to stop being polite because that is what was going on. I mean, that is the climate. And even now, and that's the tragedy, here we are talking about the March on Washington at 60 and look at where politicians are putting us today. I want to talk about that in just a second, but I want to go back to that bus ride. Had you experienced this type of racism before? I had level? experienced racism because at eight, I was one of the children who desegregated the public schools in New York, which became people don't realize how segregated the North really was. That's not part of our national narrative. That's why we need to know our history. And so I had had mob. Uh, been mobbed and spat upon as an eight-year-old, nine by that time, going into school in New York City. But I, but this kind of thing where you have police there on the scene and they are complicit with the mob rather than protecting innocent people was just, I mean, that's what was so devastating to me uh, about it. You know that bad people do bad things, but our government is not supposed to be complicit in it. When you left the Maryland-Delaware line and finally got into Washington, D.C., what was the scene like there? Well, I when we got to D.C., people saw our faces and they knew the times that we were living in. And so they didn't even ask questions. They literally just, as we came off the, the bus, people were embracing us one by one. And the extraordinary thing about that, it, is that how transformative it was? Because as they did that, as they helped heal us in that moment, the next bus came in and we in turn greeted the next bus and the next bus came in. Not everybody went through the same thing, but we knew what we had come through. And I think that too really needs to be um, seen for what it is because we have this mythological view of the March on Washington. I have a dream, but we the man is saying that, Dr. King is saying that because he himself is living a nightmare, an American nightmare. And that's why we're there. And each of the people that came off of those buses were having that shared experience and each each group of know. people was was but in some ways the I think what I was hearing from you is that the, the each group would would help the next group yes. come in and gather and, and uh embrace Yeah. You know, it, and that was so important because there was no need to ask questions. Well, did you or did you? No. We just knew. We knew. First of all, we knew before we left the America that we were living in and what we were leaving behind and coming to. That was the motivation for the march. Um, it was a protest march. It still is one of the 
greatest meaning in terms of size and scope uh, and legacy. It is one of the greatest marches, period, and protest marches in the history of the country. You write in an article, um, getting off the bus in Washington, I came to a mighty awakening. What was that mighty awakening? We were not alone. You know, I had been this lone one of four children at nine. I mean, and once again, to explain that climate, New York City's Board of Education referred to us as test children. That's, you know, like test tube. So uh, that had felt so lonely and so isolated. And then coming through all of that and being there, it just felt so alone at that time. But to see 250,000 people assembled, most of whom were black, but not everybody, people of conscience of every race, whatever race is, were there. Um, but to see that you were not alone, to see that it was not just this isolated thing, to see that other people had a different reality. And I also write in, in that piece, you know, um, and I know we'll talk about it later, 10 life lessons from participating and being there on that day is that it was about seeing yourself as you want to be seen and owning your own reality. And I express it in that in terms of you see people and they're all in their Sunday best on a hot, like mad summer day in Washington, D.C., which is really a southern city. Um, and they're in their Sunday best, sensible shoes, but their Sunday best. And it was about how we wanted to depict ourselves. Importantly, the newspapers of the day, even the Washington Post, um, uh, and They've done an extraordinary feature on voices and oral history, and I was privileged to be part of that. But even they admit that all of their pre-coverage was this narrative about the danger and that black folks will riot. Now, maybe we should have. Maybe we should have demonstrated the anger that we were feeling, but that was not what we came to do. We came to make a statement. Um, and I say maybe we should have not to get ourselves injured, but because it is time to stop this nonsense that the wounded parties of that mob, they were the ones who rioted. You also write about this in your book, uh, Dreams. In Freedom Days. Freedom Days, uh, sorry. Uh, and you um, have an excerpt of that day. Would you care to read part of that sure. to us? Um, if you're sure. just joining us, we're talking to Janice Adams, author, journalist, host of the Janice Adams Show, about her experience firsthand uh, at the March on Washington 60 years ago today. This is from my book, Freedom Days, 365 Inspired Moments in Civil Rights History. And for this day, August 28th, the drama and suspense had been building for weeks, far beyond conscience or commitment, fair weather or foul, whatever the day's outcome, history would remember August 28, 1963, for the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. Scrolling back on that day, a sea of 250,000 people floods the Capitol Mall in front of the Lincoln Memorial, the largest political rally in U.S. history to that date. It is a highly orchestrated, sanitized affair with 
And then I go on to say, only John Lewis's speech, damning pending legislation as too little too late, will cause a stir. Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream incantation will be the emotional high. And although the march may not erupt with the terror of the times, it does reflect it. For despite what some will later deride as a picnic, a quarter million people will not risk thousands of miles at their own expense for a day's picnic in a hot, segregated capital city. Within blocks of the White House are shacks dressed up as slums. Attacks on freedom riders are headline news. The likelihood of crazed anti-March millions, which is what we experience, storming buses en route is real. So is the fear that bus drivers and pilots will scuttle travel plans. Already desegregated bus bus depots in Maryland and Delaware will refuse service to black marchers. FBI chief J. Edgar Hoover's obsession with destroying the civil rights movement is known, and those who march will have braved landmines of fear to do so. Yet it is a magical day. As James Baldwin will write, for a moment it almost seemed that we stood on a height and could see our inheritance. Perhaps we could make that kingdom real. Perhaps the beloved community would not forever remain the dream one dreamed in agony. We're speaking with Janice Adams, author, journalist, and host of the Janice Adams Show here on WJFF. We're speaking with Dr. Janice Adams, and that is from her book, Freedom Days, uh, recounting her recollections of the March on Washington, which took place 60 years ago today. Today. It changed your life. It changed many people's lives. The movement pushed forward. But here we are in 2023. And this past weekend, there was a racially motivated attack in Jacksonville. Uh, it feels as if things haven't changed in some ways. The thing that people like me who lived an America, an unreconstructed America, is that every day we are going under we are under these days racial attacks every single day. You walk out your house, you do not know. I myself restrict where I go on the weekend. I know not to go to any place that might have a majority or a significant number of black people congregated. So you may go to this grocery store, but not that grocery store. In daily events, in daily parlance, We don't know these days whether or not some idiot will start some conversation with or without a gun. In Jacksonville, what you have is a young man, 21 years old, who was able to legally buy an arsenal of weapons. This country is right now, there are people in this country, I don't want to say the country, but there are people in this country who are doing this drumbeat for an upcoming civil war, and they are essentially encouraging the stockpiling of weapons by individuals, and you see it. There are more guns in America than there are people. Babies, numerically, probably have one, 1. 1.5 guns just for themselves. In utero, 
they have the same number. It, it's crazy. That is what the United States is. And so when someone decides that he is going to put on tactical gear, go to an African, a historically black college, stand outside, maybe we don't know because he did kill himself. Um, maybe he did intend to attack the college and universities are, you know, I know other universities whether they're predominantly black or not, we have had too many school shootings from K through 16. And the, well, the, the, the shooter did go to uh, a, a historically black college first. Uh, Edward Waters right, College. And was turned away and then went to that Dollar General. Yes, they, they say, and I guess it's other people who saw him there and the fact that security did step up or see him. They didn't seize him, but they saw him and he runs away and then he goes to this Dollar General store and um, and he goes in the store. He starts shooting outside and goes in the store and he kills three people and then he kills himself. Now, then a person who has been absolutely derelict in his responsibilities as governor and leading a drumbeat in the name of a, of a presidential campaign, Ronald DeSantis, does show up at a memorial to those people. But that is a person, DeSantis is a man who has been part of a movement to really ratchet up racism in the United States. This nonsense about CRT that they have been scaring the boogeyman of today, the CRT boogeyman, heaven forbid your child should learn that America wasn't apple pie from the beginning and is not now and may feel badly about it. To hell with the, the children of color who have felt badly for hundreds of years. But one little white child may feel badly about the fact that his ancestors did terrible things and his contemporaries are doing terrible things. And so when under that pretext, we're not supposed to tell the history of America. Ronald DeSantis comes to that rally, to that memorial, and he's there and people begin to boo him. And a local representative, a black woman steps in and says, this is not about the party, party affiliation. And she calms the crowd down. I applaud her for trying to de-escalate it, but she was wrong. It's time for those who are being victimized to stop having to be the ones who are polite. We just have a few minutes left, but one of the things you say uh, is a life lesson from the March on Washington is exactly that you, you are not who or what your enemies say you are. That is is a life lesson, period. You are not who your enemies say you are. That is something that we have lived under in the United States forever, um, where the wrong people get to define what the nation is about. I also say you're not as powerless as they tell you they are because Congress closed that day. And I also say in in, in closing, Sing for your soul and your life. Um, we sang, yes, we shall overcome to rally us, but we sang, ain't gonna let nobody turn me round to keep us alive. 
And the last thing in that list of 10 life lessons learned that day is stay dangerous. J. Edgar Hoover called Dr. Martin Luther King the future, the next year he would be the Nobel Peace Prize laureate. J. Edgar Hoover calls him the most dangerous man in America. And I say we were all dangerous that day. It was dangerous to face the demons of racism head on and still keep on keeping on your appointed route. Janice Adams, thank you so much for joining us today and uh, sharing your experience and sharing your life lessons and sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me, Tim. That's Janice Adams speaking earlier this morning live on air on Radio Chatskill. Janice Adams was recently featured in the Washington Post piece, An Oral History of the March on Washington, 60 Years After MLK's Dream, and her own piece, the 1963 March on Washington, I Was There, is published by the Women's Media Center, available at womensmediacenter.com. And of course, Janice can be heard every Saturday at 11 a.m. here on Radio Catskills, The Janice Adams Show. That's going to do it for the local edition tonight. I've been your host, Jason Dole. Thank you so much for listening. Do keep on listening. Ask your smart speaker or device to play Radio Catskill. Listen on air or go to WJFFRadio.org, which, by the way, is where you can also go for our Extraordinary Experiences auction. It's happening now, and there are less than two days left for you to bid. The bidding ends Wednesday at noon, so don't miss out. Hey, coming up, uh, Laura Flanders' show is at 7. Sabrina Artel keeps the civil rights vibe going tonight and makes it a little bit funky with her interview with George Clinton on Trailer Talk at 7.30. Right now, it's The Daily. Support for Radio Catskill comes from Garnet Health Medical Center, Catskills. Garnet Health, going above and beyond to elevate care every day for every person. Learn more at garnethealth.org. Exceptional lives here. And from The Cooperage Project in Honesdale dedicated to building community through performance, learning, markets, and good times. TheCooperageProject.org And from listeners like you who donate at WJFFRadio.org.